Wow, I love such a friendly, friendly congregation. Hey, let me, let me just say to you, um, it is so good uh, to be back. Uh, and uh, man, I just, I can't wait to just unpack over the next uh, weeks and even months just some of the things that, that God has really impressed upon my heart. I'm preaching a, a sermon the 1st of September on prayer, and that is something that God spoke to me a lot about. But uh, hey, I just, uh, I want you to know I'm so thrilled to be back. And I just want to say publicly, thank you to, to Brian and uh, to Richard and Pierce and Matt and, and, and the rest of the staff. Haven't they done an incredible job? Amen. Um, and uh, wow, last Sunday, I got to see the video of the baptisms and everything else. Man, God has been moving. But, but this morning, what I want to talk to you about is something that God really began to stir in my heart last spring. And, and, and it really is this idea of what we as followers of Jesus are for. It is so easy for us to define ourselves as a follower of Jesus, our faith as a follower of Jesus, by what we are against. And it's so easy for others to pigeonhole us and define us by what we are against. Kind of the old school of thought, or, you know, was Christians don't dance, don't drink, and don't go out with those who do. Amen. And kind of the new school of thought is, okay, yeah, here's, here's what a Christian is. They're anti-gay, and then you just start filling in the blanks. Anti-abortion, anti-gender fluidity, anti-porn, anti-gambling. And, and then we're, we're kind of also given this label. Of course, in light of that, we're hypocritical, judgmental, we're dangerous. So, so where does this idea of defining a Christian by what they're against come from? We could say, well, well, it's kind of, you know, in the Old Testament, have you ever read the Ten Commandments? It's a whole lot of don'ts, right? Don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't covet, don't, 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 don't. And yet, the idea of, of, of us being defined by what we are against doesn't come from Jesus. As a matter of fact, when, when someone said, Jesus, could you just kind of, you know, just summarize the book for us? I mean, uh, from beginning to end, what is the message of the Bible? He said, well, well, here it is. And listen, the next word out of his mouth was not, don't. Actually, it was do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. You want to summarize it? Love him with all of your mind. You want to summarize it? Love him with all of your strength. And then they said, could, could you add any more? And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the second commandment is, and he didn't say, don't. He said, do. Love your neighbor in the very same way that I've loved you. And then we go, okay, Jesus, can, can you help us to understand what it is that we're to be about? Is that where the don'ts come in? He goes, no, no, no. Actually, if you want to know what the mission is that I've given you, do go and make disciples and do baptize them and, and, and do then teach them how to obey everything that I've commanded you to do. Even around here, as we talk about who we are as followers of Jesus, we define it in a do, right? Do wake the world up to Jesus. So as we think in this sermon series about what we are for, not really what we are against, let me give you another one. We are for loving our enemies. 
If you believe that, would you just say amen right now? Let me just make sure you're with me. Are we for loving our enemies? Amen? Amen. Now, I'll admit, it sounds like it came off of a bumper sticker, doesn't it? We are for loving our enemies. Or, or maybe a line out of a Beatles song, right? Imagine all the people <laughs> loving all their enemies. It's easy if you try. Just sing out of your nose, man. You can carry a tune if you do it. You got to try sometime, okay? But let me tell you something. This idea, we love our enemies. That didn't come off some bumper sticker. It didn't come out of some Beatles song. It actually came from the lips of Jesus. Did you know that? Listen, listen to the way Jesus put it. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, read this with me, will you? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Man, the thing I want you to walk away with this morning is this. I, as a follower of Jesus, am for loving my enemies. You may even walk away saying, you know, I don't really like that idea. I don't really want to. I don't really feel like it. But I know I'm a new creation in Christ. And I know God formed my heart in such a way that my soul thrives when I actually love those who hate me. I love those who persecute me rather than hate them back and try to persecute them back. I just want you to leave here today saying, you know, God made me different and he made me in such a way that I thrive when I love my enemies. Now, as we begin to break down the words of Jesus, here's the first thing that we see. He says, first of all, we do have enemies. Uh, look again, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Let me just state the obvious, right? He doesn't say, hey, listen, as you're following me, probably won't happen. Don't worry about it, but... In case you end up with an enemy, somebody doesn't like you for liking me. In case somebody persecutes, probably won't happen. Don't worry about it. No, he doesn't say that, right? He just states it as a fact. If you are going to follow me, guess what? There are gonna be some folks who don't like you because you're following me. If you believe my words, uh, then there are gonna be some people who don't like you. If you, if you speak my truth to culture, uh, there are gonna be some people who don't like you. So I just want us to get this out of the way so it doesn't become a big negative or, or, or you know, kind of the elephant in the room. Just turn to your neighbor and, and the idea is if you you're following Jesus, some people ain't going to like you. So just turn to your neighbor and just tell them, hey, some folks ain't going to like you. Just, just do that, okay? You, you, you can say, yeah. All right. All right, that's enough. Hey, I don't want you to rub it in. Just want you to say it. So, so, so guys, listen, listen. There's, there is a growing animosity in our day toward the church and toward Christians I recently read this. In America, we are rapidly moving toward the exclusion of all that is religious from the public square. Anybody besides me notice that? Here are kind of the tenets of it. Religion is dangerous. Christian views must be silenced. All who espouse biblical views must be canceled. Now, now if you're sitting there going, oh, nobody told me that. Well, well, maybe nobody told you that, but I'm telling you, Jesus is not going, oh, my bad. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot to mention that. No, no, Jesus is the one who said, if the whole world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would. Say this with me, what? Then I'd love you to think you're awesome as its own. But because you're not of the world, 
but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Paul adds, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. What's the point, Gary? The point is this. If you follow Jesus and you hold to the truth that Jesus has given us, there are gonna be some folks who don't like you and will even wanna persecute you and shut you up and cancel you. So, where do we go from there? Well, Jesus says, number one, we're for loving our enemies, but understand as he says that, number one, that we do have enemies, and number two, we have enemies because we listen to Jesus and not to culture. See, listen to this. Notice that says, I say to you. Who's the I? Jesus says, I say to you. Who's the I? I just gave it away, just in case. <laughs> so, so who's the I there? So Jesus is assuming if we follow Jesus, that we're going to listen to Jesus and we're going to actually believe Jesus and that we're going to trust that every word that Jesus spoke to us is absolutely true. But on the other hand, people who don't follow Jesus, number one, don't listen to Jesus. Number two, don't believe that the words that Jesus spoke are true. And number three, a good deal of people who don't follow Jesus have decided that truth is not even absolute. Truth is relative and your truth may not be my truth because there's no such thing as absolute truth. And so Jesus, foreseeing this, said, listen, if, if people can't agree on what the truth is, then some folks are gonna hate other folks when their truth contradicts with the truth that they wanna live out. Stands to reason. Kim and I had the opportunity to go visit our daughter uh, in uh, New York, um, who's now engaged. I just wanted to slip that in there. It has nothing to do with the sermon. And uh, we're excited about that, yeah. So anyway, and so we're up there kind of celebrating engagement and they're looking at wedding dresses and all that. And, and, and we're staying at a hotel and, and just strike up a conversation with another couple and come to find out he's a hedge fund manager. He is over this company and he's being transferred to San Francisco and he's gonna be over the western half of the United States. And he said, besides my wife's family's from Austin and we wanna be closer to my wife's family. <laughs> Austin. I said to him, I know you're a hedge fund man manager and you're about to be over the western United States, but you do realize it's not any closer to Austin. I kid you not, this is Scout's honor. He goes, really? <laughs> he said, well, Austin's gonna be in my territory, so I don't care. And I'm like, oh, that's cool, that's cool. And so then the conversation moves to, so what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor, oh. <laughs> and he goes, you know, I guess I'm a Catholic, but we've never really gone. My wife's Episcopalian, and sometimes we go to church with her. But I gotta tell you, I, I read the Bible, and it's just kind of confusing. I can't figure out what the message is. Really can't figure out what it's saying. We're about 30 minutes into the conversation. The guy is just really nice. Kim's talking to the wife, and I'm talking to the guy. And, and so I said, man, I'd love to share with you, as I see it, as I understand it, just kind of the message of the Bible. And he said, I'd love to hear that. I said, well, there's a kingdom. It's the kingdom of heaven. And it really is crashing into this earth. See, Jesus made 
heaven and earth, and he hasn't abandoned it. And as a matter of fact, the kingdom has come, but it's still coming, and he's gonna establish his kingdom uh, one day, and, and he wants everyone to live as a citizen of his kingdom, but here's the deal. There's only one king in the kingdom, and his name is Jesus. It's not you, and it's not me. Whether we're a pastor or a hedge fund manager, it's still not us. And what Jesus did is he died on a cross in our place, taking our sin and the punishment for our sin upon himself. And he was buried, but he rose again, conquering sin, death, Satan, and hell. And what Jesus calls us to do is to repent, but not just to say, oh, I'm sorry, because I lost my temper. He says, he calls us to repent of acting as if we are actually the king of our own life. And we believe, we believe, yes, that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. But, but even beyond that, we believe that Jesus is the rightful king of kings. And by all rights, he is my king. And then we come, and, and literally, he's listening the whole time. Kim hears me. She's praying for me this whole time. Bailey's with us. Bailey's praying. And, and I told him. And, and so then what we do is we, we commit ourselves to follow him. We just say, Jesus, you're Lord. You're my king. I'll follow you and obey you the rest of my days. I landed the plane. I was kind of proud of myself. <laughs> he looked at his watch. And he said, I got to go. And he got up and got his wife and baby and left. And I never saw him again. This is a good conversation. I'm not going to say I became his enemy. I'm not going to say he persecuted me. He didn't spit on me as he left. But he did do this. Whether he realized it or not, what he said is, you know what? Your truth is not my truth. So I'm going to hang on to my truth. And my truth is I'm going to keep going to church every once in a while with my wife to the Episcopalian church and trust that good people go to heaven. And that's my truth. See, here's the reality. People will persecute you because they don't want your truth to trample on their truth. And so they just declare truth is relative. But it's so silly to say truth is relative. As one person put it much better than I can uh, put it, to say there is no absolute truth is to make an absolute truth claim, and that makes the claim absolutely false. You go to a doctor, doctor says we've run the test and you've got cancer. You can say to the doctor, that may be your truth, but my truth is I'm fine. <laughs> okay, but you still got cancer and you still need treatment and you're still gonna get really sick. And if you don't get treatment, you may well die. See, it's this belief, belief that all truth is relative. And this belief that says, mm, I gotta go. Uh, that's good for you, preacher. That's your truth. My truth is different. This belief that truth is actually relative has led some to declare that you are whatever gender you believe you are regardless of what gender you were assigned at birth and that God did not create male and female. It's led others to say, you know what? Your unborn child deserves protection as a child only as long as your truth declares that that child is a person. But if your truth says that child's not a person, then that child can be killed. And I know you're sitting there going, gosh, pastor, you got kind of dark on us. Well, well, let me kind of bring it back. The point is this, God says, if you believe me, you follow me, guess what? Some people are gonna hate you for it. And here's the way I want you to respond. I want you to love your enemies. And that's the point he's making here. So how do we respond with love? How do we love our enemies? Number one, 
We speak the truth in love. I love in the text how it says, you have heard that it was said. And then Jesus goes on to say, but I say to you, do you see what he's doing? Jesus is speaking truth to culture. He is saying, hey, everybody around you is saying this. You ought to hate your enemy. Hey, the opinion polls say this. You ought to hate your enemy. It's kind of a national motto. You ought to hate your enemy. The whole world is saying, hey, the thing to do is to hate your enemy. But I say to you, Jesus in love spoke truth to culture. And that's what he's calling us to do with our generation. Jesus had the courage to speak truth to culture, even though he knew people would hate him for it. And he says, my followers, I give them the same kind of courage. So let's just kind of put a pause and just ask, I think, a needed question. How do we know the word of God is actually true and not just our truth? Why am I asking that question? Because you and I, and I'm telling you, put me at the head of the list, I'm not gonna speak truth to someone if I know speaking that truth is gonna cause them to hate me if I'm not convinced that the truth I'm speaking is absolute truth, if I think it's just my truth versus their truth, why risk being hated for that truth? The only way we'll speak truth is if we're convinced that the truth that we're speaking is absolutely true. So how do we know that the word of God is true? Paul said, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with thee. Say this word with me, what? <laughs> that he was buried and that he's raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. What scriptures is he talking about? It's not the New Testament because Paul is writing the New Testament on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So he's talking about the Old Testament. And here's something, some of you have heard this before. This will be great, I pray, great affirmation, reaffirmation. Some of you have not heard this before. You need to consider this. In the Old Testament, it was written between 1500 B.C. and 400 B.C. At 1500 B.C. is Moses, and Moses starts writing the Old Testament. Malachi lives in 400 B.C., and he finishes or completes the Old Testament. Now, you've got to understand, Moses starts writing, and he writes about this historical figure who will be born 1500 years from then. And then every generation comes along, and they're still writing about this individual, this figure who is going to be born. And they're making predictions about about his death, his burial, his resurrection. According to Paul, according to scriptures, I read in the Old Testament about the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. And David comes along and he's writing about Jesus. And then Jeremiah comes along and he's writing about Jesus. Listen, I read this this morning, not in preparation for this message. This was my devotional time. I'm thinking about this. So everything I read applied to this. But listen to this. And this is after Judas betrays Jesus out of Matthew 27. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. I looked it up. You know when Jeremiah was born, most likely? 650 BC, 650 years before the birth of Jesus. You wanna know what Jeremiah wrote? This was fulfilled at what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah saying, and they took 30 pieces of silver. Boy, that sounds familiar. The price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field. Are you kidding me? As the Lord directed me. Jeremiah writes that 600 years before the birth of Jesus, all the way down to Malachi. So there's all these prophecies concerning this one who would be born, and and a mathematician by the name of Peter Stoner, 
his name, not, not kind of his proclivity. So a brilliant mathematician, he, he does the odds. And he says, okay, wait a minute. Predictions, can you imagine right now, you and I, I mean, we make a prediction about somebody's gonna be born 1,500 years from now, and, and then, uh, you know, 1,000 years before somebody's making more predictions, 400 years before somebody's making more predictions. It just, that's kind of the scenario here. So Peter Stoner looks, and he says, okay, what are the odds that even eight of these prophecies could be fulfilled in Jesus? And he comes up with 10 to the 17th. That's a one followed by 17 zeros. And to give you an idea, one followed by 17 zeros uh, would be enough silver dollars, one to the 17th power, 10 to the 17th power, uh, to fill the state of Texas up two feet deep. You, you mark an X on one of the silver dollars and just put it randomly somewhere in the pile as big as the state of Texas. And, and there's one person, and one person has one shot to go and just pick up that one silver dollar. Those are the odds that Jesus could fulfill. Like, but here's the thing. You wanna know how many prophecies there were concerning Jesus in the Old Testament? Not eight, but over 300 prophecies. That's why Jesus himself said, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you that while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, according to Jesus, did Moses write about him 1500 years before his birth? Yes or no? And he says, and everything that the prophets wrote, did the prophets write about Jesus? Absolutely. And everything in the Psalms that must be fulfilled, what Jesus is saying is the Bible is true and it is absolute truth. And you and I can love those who hate us. And here's the way we do it. We speak truth into their life with love because we actually believe that what we're speaking is actually true. How do we love our enemies? You can talk about loving them all day long, but Jesus said, the proof's in the pudding. If you love your enemy, what you do is you speak truth with love into culture, into their life. And second, you pray for them. Love your enemies and, you see it? Pray for them. Pray for those who persecute you. Do you realize God actually loves your enemy? Don't you hate that? Does that bug you as much as it bugs me? God, I just want you to rip, you know. No, 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 He says, I love your enemies. God loves to turn enemies into children of God. Do you realize that? So of course he loves your enemy. One of my favorite songs right now, of course, Homecoming's pretty good, right? But, but one of my favorite songs is Graves into Garden. You turn mourning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the only one who can. God loves our enemies. Because God wants to transform our enemies into children of the living God. Look at Saul before he became Paul. He's on the road to Damascus and he is hit by this blinding light and he goes, who are you? Get this word. Who are you, bright sun? No, 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 no. He goes, who are you, Lord? And Jesus responds, I'm Jesus whom you're crucifying. And in that moment, Paul is transformed from being a murderer into a missionary. God calls us to pray and not to hate because God prefers, prefers to convert and not crush. And so he says, of course, 
I want the Saul's to become Paul's and enemies of God to become children of God. Richard Niebuhr, in his book, Christ and Culture, said there's one of five ways that we're gonna respond to the culture around us that oftentimes doesn't like us and wants to silence us and cancel us. Number one, Christ of culture, where we modify our beliefs in alignment with culture. We follow Jesus, it's just that public opinion polls tell us who Jesus is and what Jesus believes and teaches. I wouldn't recommend that one. Christ against culture. We demonize those who disagree with us. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I want you to love your enemies, not hate your enemies. Christ above culture, believe in Jesus, but live secular lives in line with culture. Oh, I believe in Jesus, I'm going to heaven when I die, I'm just gonna live like everybody else because I don't want anybody to hate me. I wouldn't recommend that one. Christ and culture and paradox, engage with culture to carve out a space for evangelicals in culture. In other words, I'm gonna follow Jesus and I'm gonna uh, kind of create a holy little huddle over here and I'm gonna have as little contact as I can with the evil, mean world around me. I wouldn't recommend that one. And then the one that Richard Niebuhr and Jesus recommend is Christ transforming culture where we speak truth with compassion to culture. And by the way, when we do that, let me tell you something. The Spirit of God moves, and the Spirit of God begins to change things. I read this in The Myth of the Dying Church, The Myth of the Dying Church by Glenn Stanton. Pretty staggering stuff. He says the percentage of young adults, guys, y'all gonna love this. The percentage of young adults who regularly attend evangelical, non-denominational churches has roughly doubled between 1972 and the present day. You hadn't heard that lately, have you? He said the nuns, and that is the fastest growing religious group in our day, and that's just no, no religious affiliation whatsoever. The nuns are not new unbelievers, but people who have never committed to the faith and now feel free to admit this fact to pollsters. And he goes on to add this, the number of Christians living in the world today is larger than it has been at any point in world history. Here is the reality. Jesus Christ is still king, and every knee is gonna bow, every tongue is gonna confess that Jesus is Lord. And you and I don't have to worry about the enemies of God. I kid you not. I read this this morning. Did I mention to you that everything I read this morning applied to this sermon? But, but having said that, I read this out of the Psalms. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand. Don't you love this? I get to say stupid and fool and nobody can fault me for it. Jesus is going through the psalmist. Hey, the stupid person, the fool can't understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. Behold your enemies, O Lord. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. Here is the reality. You and I don't have to worry about our enemies because Jesus shall arise and his enemies shall be scattered. Our job is not to hate our enemies. Our job is to love our enemies and pray for them because God loves to convert enemies, not crush enemies. So what am I inviting you to do? I'm inviting you to do what Jesus is inviting you to do, and that is to go all in on loving your enemies. Go all in on loving the ex that you're in the midst of a custody battle with. I know. That's hard. 
Go all, all in on loving the boss who's blocking your promotion because you won't do the ethically questionable thing. Go in all in on loving the family member who's treated you so unfairly. Go all in on loving those who vote differently than you do. And listen to me. We can't do that by willpower. You cannot psych yourself into loving your enemies. You can only pray yourself into loving your enemies. I love the old saying, prayer doesn't so much change the heart of God as much as it changes our heart. So here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to pray and identify an enemy. Put a name to it, not a generalization. Put a name to it. Here is my enemy and here is my enemy's name. And I'm asking you to do this. I'm asking you to pray every day for your enemy this week. And I am telling you based on the authority of God's word, you are a new creation and God designed you. He forms you so that your soul thrives when you actually start loving your enemy and praying for your enemy and speaking truth with love into your enemy's life. Listen, here's what's going to happen. You begin to pray for your enemy and you begin to pray for your enemy by name. Then all of a sudden your heart is going to slowly begin to be transformed from hating your enemy to hurting for your enemy and a yearning for your enemy to become a child of the living King whose name is Jesus. So that's what I'm inviting you to do. Go all in on loving your enemy. Now, let me just say this. This morning, if you have never repented of your sins and told Jesus, I believe that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords and I will follow you, I confess you as my Lord, do you realize, can I speak truth into your life? You are an enemy of God. You go, Gary, that's your truth. That's not my truth. Okay. But I'm telling you, the word of God says that all who do not follow Jesus shall be crushed by Jesus. But listen, you don't have to die an enemy of God. You can become a child of God. Just like Paul was on the road to Damascus, you can become a child of God. And here's the way you do it. You say, Jesus, I repent of my sin and I repent of rejecting you as the rightful king of my life. I believe that you're the king of kings and the Lord of lords, that you died, were buried, you rose again. You conquered sin and death on my behalf. And Jesus, right now, I devote myself to following you. You are my Lord, I'll follow you. And listen, here's what I wanna ask you to do. Right now, would you just bow your heads? Everyone in here, would you just bow your heads? And if you have never, never said to Jesus, I repent, I believe, I'll follow you. I wanna, I wanna invite you to just pray with me right now and then we're gonna dismiss. Would you just pray with me right now? Would you just pray this prayer? Lord Jesus, I repent. I repent of acting as if I am the king of kings in my life. You created me, you formed me, you fashioned me, and you are the rightful king. Oh, Jesus, I believe that you're the king of kings and you rightfully are my king. And Jesus, I believe you died on a cross taking my sin and I believe you conquered the grave. And Jesus, I believe you offer me life. And so Jesus, right now, I commit myself to follow you. I confess you as my Lord. And I'm asking you to forgive me and to give me the gift of eternal life. And Jesus, you promised if, if anyone should call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. Lord, I'm calling upon you. And I believe you've saved me right now. And you've taken me from being your enemy to being your child. And right now I'm a child of the King.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, listen, we are gonna be dismissed. Uh, there's a next step room right there and I'm gonna be making my way there. I would love to meet you if you're a guest. If you just prayed that prayer, we'd love to hear more about that. If you've got a prayer need, you come. God bless you. Thank you for just listening so intently. You're dismissed. God bless.